Drive to the pass. Hold it. Defense. Number 33. Five-yard penalty. Automatic. First down. Hello and welcome to the 4th and Inches Officiating Podcast. My name is Roger Goodgroves and we're going to be taking an in-depth look at some of the key officiating moments from week 6. As a reminder, video links for all the plays we are discussing are in the podcast description. Let's try to kick off the week with the game in London. I say try and we had a slight interruption from a stupid pitch invasion. Well-known cricket invader, Jarvo, caused a delay of game on the opening kick when he ran onto the field. Now, we spoke last week about the officiating mechanics, and part of those on a kickoff are to check that there are no reasons the kick can't happen. That's normally things like the ball falling off the tee, or players and coaches too close to the field. It was good to see that the officials, unlike the security people, were alert and ran in, shutting the play down prior to the invader getting near the ball. The London game had another unusual incident, and thankfully the next one is on the field. The Jaguars' right guard was flagged for clipping, a rarely called foul that was only called six times in the whole of last season. As we discussed last week in relation to the stricter low blocking rules, there are very specific rules related to when a player can block another low. Most times, players can't block players from behind, except for linemen, and they can block below the waist from behind. What they aren't allowed to do is block below the knee from behind. Even in close play, a player cannot finish a block by rolling up on the back of the legs of his opponent. On this play, it appears that the Jaguars guard is grabbing Miami's defensive lineman's waist and pulling him backwards, and does not actually block by the waist from behind. His knees buckle, which makes it seem like he was clipped, but this looks like incidental contact and not clipping. It perhaps should have been a 10-yard holding, not a 15-yard personal foul. It's easy to see how this could be called as clipping though. As with all safety fouls, the when in doubt principle is, when in doubt, it's a foul. Now that sense of device, you don't want to take safety concerns um, too inconsequential. Talking of illegal blow box, over in Washington, the Chiefs' Travis Kelsey is held as he goes out on his pass pattern. After the hole takes him out of the play, he then dives from the ground to take out a Washington player below the waist. The foul's offset, and the teams replay the down. Moving over to the great rivalry match between the Bears and Packers, field judge Aaron Santi flags Jalen Johnson for pass interference. Even though the contact is within the normally allowable five-yard zone from the line of scrimmage, that is, we can see an armbar preventing the receiver making the inside cut. One clue that officials look for when judging pass interference is the receiver reaching for the ball with one arm. That isn't what normal people do. One clue that officials look for when judging pass interference is the receiver reaching for the ball with one arm. That is often an indicator that the defender is holding the other one. Staying with the Midwest teams, the Vikings' Adam Thielen scored an impressive touchdown in their game against Carolina. Line judge Trip Suter and field judge Terry Brown teamed up to rule on the touchdown. 
with Thielen already diving down to the ground and in the end zone, the two officials calmly watched to judge if he got control and kept a body part down as he went out over the sideline and before he was out of bounds. The play blows up right in front of Suter with a ball and a crowd of arms, legs and the sideline. On the replay, you can see Brown getting in position at the back of the end zone to rule on feet and Suter takes position on the goal line. They make it look so easy. However, this play happens very fast and TV doesn't do it justice. It takes good concentration to get this call right in real time. Terry Brown is once again the key official as the game pushed into overtime. With just under six minutes remaining of overtime, KJ Osborne was deemed to have got the ball across the plane of the goal line for the overtime winning touchdown. Now, if you remember from the in-depth looked goal line plays from the other week, if a player doesn't get a body part into the end zone, they have to get the ball to cross the goal line or over the pylon, which Osborne does. Another great pressure call. After he scored, Osborne was seen to toss his helmet off and people have asked why this wasn't flagged for taunting. Well, firstly, this wasn't aimed at an opponent and secondly, the game was over. Where are you going to enforce that penalty from? Even if replay had taken the TVD off the board, there would have been no flag for taunting due to it not being aimed at an opponent, neither physically nor metaphorically. Now, there was a lot made about the emphasis on taunting at the beginning of the season. Not only have the number of flags settled as players have adjusted, but coincidentally, or not, the number of ejections this season is at a very low level. People ask why was taunting getting that focus, well now you can see one of the direct consequences. Taunting invariably leads to escalation and retaliation. This weekend produced a number of rarely seen situations and one of the rarest was in the game between the Rams and the Giants. With under a minute remaining in the first half, Rams punter Johnny Hecker threw a pass instead of punting. Now, this isn't that rare as Hecker has a bit of a reputation for doing that. This time though, it was flagged due to an illegal hindout played by the Rams. An illegal hideout occurs when a receiver is lined up within five yards of his own bench, effectively blending into the sideline. Talking of reputations, it was actually the Rams on the first play of the 1954 season that caused the rule to be written after Norm Van Brocklin connected with Skeet Quinlan for 80 yards. The following week, the NFL introduced an immediate new unsportsmanlike conduct rule to avoid this type of play. The memo was sent to all 12 of their teams. Now this on its own would be unusual, however it wasn't the only odd thing to happen on this play. The Giants were also flagged for a live ball penalty as one of their coaches ran across the front of the sideline official and was flagged for their own unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. Two live ball unsportsmanlike conduct penalties are probably the rarest that I've ever seen in the NFL. In the second of the two video clips, you can just see this happen before the video concentrates on the Hecker throw. The penalty is for sideline interference. Moving over to the Cowboys game, and we had another unusual situation. This time, what's unusual is how the penalties are enforced. The umpire called Cowboys Connor Williams for holding, taking the Cowboys out of field goal range. Williams then apparently argued with the official and drew an unsportsmanlike conduct foul. NFL live ball dead ball penalty enforcements are different than college. 
The live ball period carries over after the whistle much longer in the NFL, so the Patriots had to choose between the holding foul or the unsportsmanlike conduct foul to enforce. Naturally, the Patriots chose the 15-yarder, not just because it was five more yards, but also because accepting the holding foul would allow the Cowboys to repeat second down. As the unsportsmanlike penalty effectively happened after the play was over, the Cowboys went from second and ten to third and twenty-five. In college football, both of these penalties would be enforced, and all twenty-five yards in penalties would have been walked off. Finally, moving to the late Sunday night game between Seattle and Pittsburgh. Seattle punted the ball late in the first quarter and almost had a great result pinning the Steelers close to their goal line. The wall was battered away from the goal line by the gunner to keep the ball in play. A Seattle player picked up that batted ball on the three-yard line and although he possessed it, he ended up falling into the end zone which resulted in the Steelers being awarded a touchback. In college football, the ball would have been dead as soon as the Seattle player possessed the kick and the Steelers would have started their drive from that point. Not in the NFL though. There's a specific approved ruling to deal with this situation and the player possessing the ball must remain out of the end zone to avoid a touchback. Well, that's all we've got time for for this week. If you have any queries on any games next weekend, just message me stating the team, time and quarter. More next week, but for now, it's goodbye.